0: Well, today. Let's open up to Psalms 88. As tonight, we're going to go over a couple of chapters and I don't want to oversimplify it, but I think in one sense, uh, chapter 88 uh, is talking about the whiner. You guys know what a whiner is? All right. And then chapter 89 is is about the, the winner. Now, the writer of Psalm 88 is identified, we're going to see, as a guy named Heman, the Ezraite. And some would connect him to the Heman mentioned in 1 Kings 4.31, while others point to the Heman, who is the son of Joel, a temple musician, who's mentioned in 1 Chronicles 6.33. And so, at the end of the day, the truth is, we're not sure who he is We just uh, don't know that, but we do know that it's a very sad psalm, Psalm 88. As a matter of fact, a lot of people consider this, they've called this the saddest psalm of all. And so uh, as you guys have gone through the psalms, I know you know that there are many of them that offer up complaints and their cries and their, their heartaches to God, but this is one of the few psalms that doesn't end in an expression of faith. It starts and ends with this man who's down and depressed and he's in the dumps and although he prays he prays as if he really has no hope and so it's an interesting psalm but I think we're gonna learn some lessons on what not to do although we appreciate his honesty my prayer is that we wouldn't be whiners you know whatever happens in life and I know life is hard you know, I, my prayer is that we would just, man, with our eyes on the Lord, uh, know who we're praying to. He's a God who loves us. He's a God who cares for us. He's a God that can do anything, and we must trust him. Okay, so Psalm 88, uh, the whiner, um, he kind of starts off okay in verse 1. Notice uh, it says a song, a psalm of the sons of Korah, It was just the last uh, psalm by the sons of Korah to the chief musician uh, said to Mahalath, uh, Leonath. And uh, it's a contemplation notice of Heman, the Ezraite. And he says in verse one, O O Lord, God of my salvation, I have cried out day and night before you. So let my prayer come before you and incline your ear to hear my cry. And so, This is probably the only positive thing we really see in the psalm. Uh, At least he knows that he's praying to the God of your salvation. And so that's a a cool thing. You know, when you look at this, he'd been praying a day and night. He's pleading for God to answer him. And notice the reason he mentions in verse 3, For my soul is full of troubles, and my life draws near to the grave. I am counted with those who go down to the pit. I am like a man who has no strength, adrift among the dead, like the slain who lie in the grave, whom you remember no more and who are cut off from your hand. And so here's a a guy, he's struggling, you know, uh, not just physically. We're going to see he does struggle physically, but... He's struggling emotionally. He's uh, struggling spiritually, not just body, but soul. And it's not simply that he has troubles. Notice it says right here that he's full of troubles. Apparently, this man was close to death. We read in verse 3, he says right there, my life draws near to the grave. And so he felt in his life that he's as good as dead. And and I know this sounds kind of weird, you guys, but he almost paints himself to be like some type of spiritual zombie. Like I'm 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 alive, but I'm dead. I, I'm dust, I'm dirt, I'm gone, I'm in the grave, there's no hope. I'm I'm cut off from God. It it's a terrible place where some people, unfortunately, they are they are kind of like pessimists. They see everything negative, they see the cup half empty when in all reality we should see it a lot different when we're christians and i know it's cliche but you guys have heard it said if life you know gives you lemons you make lemonade it's kind of like that this guy right here man he's just sour grapes man he's just really really bad you know i'm one of those who goes down to the pit uh, no strength uh, drifting among the dead i'm gone in the grave. Notice in verse 5 again what he says. He, he says, uh, like the slain who, who lie in the grave, whom you remember no more, and who are cut off from your hand. You know, I, I've shared this many times. I, I think it's imperative for us to know, it's imperative that as God's people, uh, God, sometimes when, when we pray, he's silent, but he's never absent. He's always Present. He's always fully present in all your problems. He's always there, and we need to remember that. You know, he thought that God had forgotten him, but we must never forget that God never forgets us. You know that that song, that, that that passage in Isaiah forty-nine and in verse fifteen and sixteen. It asks the question, can a woman forget her nursing child and not have compassion on the son of her womb? And the implication there is, of course not. She would never forget her nursing child, the, the one that she gave birth to. But it says there, even if she did, God says, surely they may forget, yet I will not forget you. See? And it's like he says, look, I have inscribed you on the palms of my hands your walls are continually before me and so we must never forget that god never forgets us and if you ever wonder about his love you just look he says look at my hands it's almost like thomas thomas i'll believe it if i put my finger in his hands and god appears to him and says go ahead put your finger there and it's almost as if god is saying that to us look at My hands, our Savior says. How can you say that I've forgotten you? I have not forgotten you. You're inscribed on the palms of my hands, on your walls, which is your protection. He says, they're continually before me. And so nothing will ever happen to us. Nothing will ever be allowed to touch us unless it's been filtered through the sovereignty of our Father's will. And if it does touch us, we must trust him to know that it's good for us, whatever it might be. And so this guy right here, um, he's having a hard day, right? Um, He's saying, well, you know, God, you've forgotten me. And, and, you know, maybe you're here and, and you're saying, okay, well, if God hasn't forgotten me, can I ask you a question? Why is it so hot? Why why do I feel like I'm in the fire? And and there will be those times in life, right? When it seems like the sky is falling, the the physical, emotional, spiritual struggles and the pain seems unbearable, and it's there my friend, my brother, my sister where your faith will be tested. It's there where you will you will either quit or you will grow. When I used to wrestle, it was a very tough sport back in the day, and I remember a lot of the guys, they came out, man, there was a hundred guys that would come out, but uh, our coach, he pushed us hard, and, uh, and and you know, it didn't take long, you know, one by one, the guys just began to quit, he would push us, it was extreme conditioning, I mean, it was almost, uh, it seemed like, um, I don't know, like it was unfair, or um, brutal, uh, I don't know, I think it was, I think it was against the law, just different things, <laughs> you know, but he pushed us and and so many guys quit and the same happens in the church You know where the very things that god is going to use in your life to make you like him To put you through the fire and, and he purifies your life and he creates These he allows these things to happen because he's conforming us into his image Some people they they quit some slow down some relax But others, they embrace it. They don't just face it, they embrace it, right? And they don't just go through it, they grow through it. And that's where we need to be. I'm sure you've heard that saying, a faith that has not been tested cannot be trusted, right? And so it's there where our faith will be tested, and we all have the choice to make. Will I walk by faith or will I walk by feelings Will I stand on my biblical convictions or will I, will I be swept away by my fickle emotions? You know, will, will you claim God or will you blame God? And right here, this psalmist, he, he, he chose to blame God. Look at verse 6. You have laid me in the lowest pit, in darkness, in the depths. Your wrath lies heavy upon me, and you have afflicted me with all your ways. You have put away my acquaintances far from me. You have made me an abomination to them. I am shut up and I, and I cannot get out. My eye wastes away because of affliction. You know, he, he blamed God for laying him down, not just in the pit, but in the lowest pit, the deep, the darkness, the the heavy wrath he felt like there were waves of affliction and then to make matters worse his acquaintances had abandoned him and you know he's blaming God maybe it's not God's fault maybe it's their fault sometimes people find themselves all alone because they've pushed everyone away and we blame God for all these things you know, what we find right here is this is going to be a tough place for him to be later on. Not only his acquaintances, but his loved ones and his friends, they abandon him. And so he's feeling tied up and tore down and he's teared up. Definitely, you know, here in verse 9, it, it, it could speak of the damage that was taking place to his eyes. But more than likely, it communicates to us that he'd cried so much that his eyes were wasting away. And of course, that's a a tough place to be. I I don't know if you've ever been there. I, I have seen over the years as a pastor, I've cried with many, many people. I cried with someone today on the phone. I cried with someone the day before yesterday on the phone. And these are people that are going through tremendous trials, and so when we go through that, I have a hunch that so we're all going to be there one day. When we are, we need to remember Psalm 56 and verse 8. It says, you number my wanderings, put my tears into your bottle. Are they not in your book? And I love that, that verse because it tells us that God, he's just completely on the throne. I mean, numbering our wanderings? Think about that. Meaning that he would limit it, meaning that he's completely cognizant of everything that we're going through. And not only that, it's in his book. And I have a feeling it's not just him recording history. Uh, I have a hunch that what he's doing there is he's making it happen. He's bringing it to pass. He's writing the story because the Bible says that we are his workmanship created in christ jesus for good works and the greek word translated workmanship is poema he's he's writing a poem with your life and so all the things that happen it's the lord and every single tear he he, he holds in his bottle he's aware of every single one of them you know so we need to to know this we we don't just you know you know, blame God. No, we claim God. We don't, you know, just look at the the fire and and cry out, God get me out of it. No, we say, God, what can I get out of it? How am I gonna grow? How am I gonna get stronger? What's it gonna do to my prayer life? What will it do to me as a as a husband? Me as a as a dad? Me as a pastor, me as a son, me as a friend. How will it change my life? What will I be like now at home? What will I be like now you know when i go to work or i'm at school it's intended to radically change us and if you're here and you no longer want to grow then something's wrong god's still doing a work in us huh because god wants to do a work through us you know this guy right here unfortunately he was just a, a whiner and and it's, it is commendable and when you read different commentaries some people will say well at least he kept praying And it's true that he kept praying, but just because a person offers up prayers or writes a song, it doesn't necessarily mean that their heart is right. God, Jesus, when you read the Gospels, he's blessed and impressed when people have faith, I believe. And we're going to see that in the next Psalm, that this guy, he's going through a hard time, but he knows the word. And he has faith in God. Because if we're not careful, we might experience a tragedy in life and, and be tempted to, to lose heart. And that's where this guy was. Look at verse 9b. He says, Lord, I have called daily upon your, you. I have stretched out my hands to you. Will you work wonders for the dead? Shall the dead arise and praise you, Selah? Shall your loving kindness be declared in the grave or your faithfulness in the place of destruction? Shall your wonders be known in the dark and your righteousness? Notice what he calls uh, life after death, the land of forgetfulness. Well, I pray a lot. I go to a lot of prayer meetings. It doesn't mean that you're necessarily right with, with God do you believe do you have faith i mean he it's not as if he hadn't prayed he called upon god every day he even stretched out his hands you know and he was trying hard i guess to pray and he would say passionately persistently even persuasively telling god this though and to to us it's weird He says, God, if I die, if you let me die, it'll be too late. God, I don't want to die. You know, and one of the things, of course, we need to know that when we read the Old Testament, uh, we'll see sporadically that they didn't have nearly as clear a picture of heaven that we do, right? Death for them had a tremendous sting for the most part. Um, Although, you know, many of them did know, like David and others, you know, they did know. But there were some like Job and others that it wasn't as clear a view as we have. And so this is what we see here in this psalm. You know, one of the things that we see is, is that if we lose sight of heaven, then we lose. If we lose sight of heaven, then we lose hope. And hope has everything to do with the future. You know, please, you know, be careful. Don't lose sight of heaven. We need to remember. And to me, I'm so blessed by the fact that Jesus is preparing a place for us. He said that in John 14. You know, I love what Peter said. And I I wanted you guys to actually turn there. I know we can probably show it on the screen. But I wanted you to turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. And it just so happened that this is one of the songs that an angel was singing tonight uh, about the living hope. Look what it says in 1 Peter chapter 1, in verse 3. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. I mean, I love this verse. I mean, Peter's just praising God, you know, because when we placed our faith in jesus christ we were born again and we were born again to this living hope and, and it's interesting because it's a, you think it's kind of a play on words is your hope alive or dead hope is a certain certainty about the future I, is it alive and not just uh, uh that is your hopes alive but it, it's a it's a you know hope to live it's the hope really of heaven and that is made clear by the way jesus conquered the coffin and gutted the grave defeated death and there in heaven think about it we have an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and it's there it will never fade away think about it man we have reservations in heaven and so um It's very important that we don't lose sight of our home in heaven. You know, never let the enemy blind you to the beauty of heaven. I mean, don't get me wrong. uh, We love life. Um, I don't know how you guys are tonight. Hopefully you love life. Do you love music? Do you love chocolate? We love life. I love love. You love people. You love to serve the Lord. I mean, I love love. Life, I lo- I'm so blessed by my life, even the trials, the triumphs. I, I thank God for, for this life that we have, but it's nothing compared to our home in heaven one day. You know, and I was thinking, I don't know if you guys noticed, did you, any of you notice the billion butterflies that are flying to the north? Any of you guys noticed that? There, there's a migration going on because of the waters and the rains, I guess the last one was in 2005 when there was a lot of rain. So here we go again. And they're, they're flying, even butterflies, 20 miles an hour. And you'll see hundreds of them. And they're going from Mexico all the way up to Oregon, believe it or not. And they're going to go and, and, and mate. And so it's a beautiful thing. But I was thinking about butterflies and so you see them now, and you think, you know, they're beautiful. I think we have a picture of a butterfly. This particular butterfly is the one that's making the migration. They're lady butterflies. But, you know, they weren't always like that, right? There was a time when they were caterpillars. And caterpillars, why well, we have a picture of caterpillars. Um, maybe some of you think they're pretty. Some of you are afraid right now. <laughs> you know, I mean, I don't know, a caterpillar. Think about a caterpillar. It's not pretty. If a bird sees it, it's like filet mignon. I mean, just think about it, right? But then, you know, it goes into the the cocoon and then it's transformed and it comes out beautiful. And it comes out and it flies. It's kind of like that for us. You know, right now we're, you know, we're blessed, but it's like we're these worms or caterpillars. There's not much to us. And that's not even the beginning of a description of when we're home in heaven, how we will see God, how there'll be no more sin, no more suffering, no more sickness, no more Satan. You know, when we're singing that song about Lord come, I I pray that with all my heart. When I look at the world that we're living, these, these plane crashes, these things going on, I mean, you know, whatever you do, don't come to the place like the psalmist right here I mean, where he didn't, he didn't want to die. He, he thought it was the land of forgetfulness. No, it's our home. It's our home in heaven. You know, Heman doesn't know the glory of God, the glory of God's goodness. He doesn't realize paradise. And so he desperately wants to live. But, but we need to be so careful with that. There's a balance there. You remember when Hezekiah was about to die, Isaiah came to him in 2 Kings chapter twenty, and he said, "Okay, he- uh, uh, Hezekiah, I've got good news for you. You're going to die. <laughs> <laughs> so get your house in order. You know, make sure you've got your life insurance or whatever. You know, straighten things out, and you're going to go home. And you remember Hezekiah? He was all upset. He turned his face to the wall, and uh, and he asked for an extension on his life. And so the Lord spoke to Isaiah. He came back and he said, okay, God heard your, your whining <laughs> and he extended his life 15 years. Now again, God is mysterious and we don't know all the ins and outs of those things, but I have a hunch if God says, this is when I want you to die, that he knows best. I don't want to change that day. I don't want to go a day sooner and I don't want to go a day later. He knows what's best. He knows what's best for my family. He knows what's best for everyone involved. So why would Hezekiah Hezekiah pray for an extended life? You know, you got to be careful what you pray for because sometimes you might get it. (laughs) Psalm 109 in verse 15, it says that he gave them their requests but sent leanness to their souls. People fight and they kick and they whine and they complain and, and then they, you know... They end up getting what they were manipulating for. And it's almost like one guy said, Oswald Chambers, he said, there are two types of people in this world. There are those who say, God, thy will be done. And there are those to whom God says, okay, have it your way. And so when Hezekiah lived for 15 more years, he had a son named Manasseh, who ended up being the worst king in all of Israel. And then he showed the Babylonians all the treasures of the land and they came and they took it all away. So, you know, be careful, you guys, when we're there one day. You know, what does the Bible say? It's not the land of forgetfulness. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5 we are confident, yes, well-pleased, rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. It's not the land of forgetfulness. Remember when Jesus was quoting from the Old Testament, proving to the Sadducees that there is life after death. He said in Mark 12, in verse 26 and 27, concerning the dead, that they rise. Have you not read in the book of Moses in the burning bush passage how God spoke to him saying, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. He's not the God of the dead, but the God of the living. He says, you are therefore greatly mistaken because they didn't think that there was a resurrection. And so this guy Haman, uh, he keeps praying. We read in in verse 13, but to you I have cried out, O Lord, and in the morning my prayer comes before you. Lord, why do you cast off my soul? Why do you hide your face from me? I have been afflicted and ready to die from my youth. I suffer your terrors. I am distraught. Your fierce wrath has gone over me. Your terrors have cut me off. They came around me all day long like water. They engulfed me altogether. Loved one and friend, you have put far from me and my acquaintances into darkness. And in the Hebrew Uh, text it it ends in that word also darkness it ends in darkness and this is a more than a prayer it's a cry not just early in the morning but interesting how it's early in his life and i'm not trying to make light of it you guys i I know we go through tough times you know and and i'm not trying to say that we don't experience the tears and the struggles but you you got to come to the lord you have to you know, realize like Paul who was in prison when he said, rejoice in the Lord. And again, I will say, rejoice. No matter what your circumstances are, God is moving, and it's, uh, it's something that we realize by faith. I, I've seen it a few times in my life where I've gone to hospital rooms where people were dying, and they lifted up their hands and they said, praise God. Because they knew that God was on the throne. You know, what we find is right here, he's been going through this for a while, dealing with death since his youth. At that door, distraught, he felt like he was drowning in the water of what he felt was God's wrath. And, and because he never really lifted his eyes, and, and probably, you know, he, all he had to do was read the scriptures, because he never really did that, because he was so focused on himself, The psalm ends with him feeling abandoned and all alone when all along God was there. You know, it's one of the few psalms that ends with defeat. And so um, that's the whiner, okay? Are you here uh, a whiner? Are you a complainer? (laughs) I better go the other way because I know what they're going to do. They're going (laughs) to complain. No, you better lift your eyes and look up to the Lord. The next psalm is kind of like the winner. You know, this Psalm 89 is written by Ethan the Ezraite. And again, it's interesting. Uh, It it could be the same one mentioned in 1 Kings 4.31, a contemporary of Solomon. And if that's the case, then perhaps this psalm was written when the kingdom was divided after Solomon's death, which would have been a horrible thing to see. It might also be a lot of people believe it was written, however, by a different Ethan, and it was at the time of captivity. You remember when the Jews were taken to Babylon, which was another awful time. But whichever view you hold, it's interesting how it highlights the Davidic covenant. And so we read in verse 1, a contemplation of Ethan the Ezraite. I will sing of the mercies of the Lord forever with my mouth will i make known your faithfulness to all generations for i have said mercy shall be built up forever your faithfulness you shall establish in the very heavens and, and in verses one and two basically we see it we see praise to god you know and it's so cool what he wants to do. And when you go through the psalm, I encourage you, I don't know if you write in your Bible, but I circled every time I found the word faithful or faithfulness. And then I underlined everywhere I found the word forever or forevermore. Because it seems like those were the two themes woven through the text as they're presenting Jesus, the the King of Kings. And so, you know, we could sing about it and we do sing about it, huh? How God is faithful forever, you know? And so first there's a praise to God and then there's the promise from God. In verse three, he says, and now he's kind of sharing God's word to himself. This, this is what God said. I have made a covenant with my chosen. I have sworn to my servant, David, your seed I will establish, there's that word again, forever and build up your throne to all generations, Selah. And so there's the praise to God, and then there's a the promise from God. And what we find is that God had made a, a covenant, and we believe it was an unconditional covenant with David for a powerful, perpetual, and eternal king who would come one day. He would be the king Ruling from Jerusalem, a descendant of David. And we read about it in Second Samuel chapter 7. And I was wondering if you could turn there. Because it is a very important covenant. You know, when you read the Bible, there are different covenants. There's the, the covenant with Noah, covenant with Abraham, covenant with Israel or Moses. There's a new covenant But then this is the Davidic covenant. This was the covenant that God made with David. And if you remember the context here in 2 Samuel chapter 7, God had blessed David and David said, I'm going to build the Lord a house. You know, I'm going to build him a temple. And so Nathan said, hey, that's a great idea. You should build him a temple. But then when Nathan was going home, the Lord said, well, you shouldn't have said that. Uh, He's not going to build me a house. His son will, but not him. But what the Lord ends up saying is, David, you're not going to build me a house, but I will build you a house. And it's just so cool the way that the Lord is. In verse 12, when Nathan is speaking now to David and just sharing with him the blessings that God has spoken over his life, he says in verse 12, and when your days are fulfilled and you rest with your father's, I will set up your seed after you who will come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father and he shall be my son. If he commits iniquity, I will chasten him with the rod of men and with the blows of the sons of men. But my mercy shall not depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I removed from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be established forever before you. Your throne shall be established forever. And that's what we call the Davidic covenant. And so back in Psalm 89, the psalmist is, is praising God, but then he reminds Himself, he reminds the Lord of the promise of God. Lord, you said that there would always be a a, a a descendant of David that would sit on the throne and he would rule forever. God, you said that. That was the covenant you made with your chosen one. It's in your word. I believe your word, I believe the Bible. I hold to your word, God. And as he's praying, what he's doing is he's going against the circumstances that he feels i mean that he's you know if they're in captivity or if the kingdom's divided and you know the cast are now set up and things are it, it just it doesn't look you know like it would line up but he knows that it has to line up and so he reminds god of his promise we see the praise to god and then the promise from god And then the power of God. And then verses 5 through 37, it's just all about how awesome the Lord is. And so in Psalm 88, he's like, God, you don't care. God, you've forgotten me. God, you know, there's no hope. But now in this one, he's like, God, I know who you are. You're the powerful God. Look at verse 5. And the heavens will praise your wonders, O Lord, your faithfulness, there's that word, also in the assembly of the saints, so in heaven and on earth. For who in the heavens can be compared to the Lord and who among the sons of the mighty can be likened to the Lord? God is greatly to be feared in the assembly of the saints and to be held in reverence by all those around him. O Lord, God of hosts, who is mighty like you, O Lord? Your faithfulness also surrounds you. You rule the raging of the sea when its waves rise. You still them. You have broken Rahab, which is another name for Egypt, in pieces as one who is slain. You have scattered your enemies with your mighty arm. I mean, he's just saying God's going to be praised in heaven and on earth. No one can be compared to the Lord in both places. God is to be feared, reverenced. There's none like him. I know who I'm praying to. I'm praying to the God of hosts, the Lord of heaven's armies who will defeat all demons. He's the God of war. That's the one I'm praying to. He's the God who rules the raging seas when the enemy comes in and he tries to sink my ship. It's not going to happen. He broke Rahab. He broke Egypt in pieces. He's the God over all creation, over every nation, that's my God. And that's how he prays. I I love what he says in verse eleven, the heavens are yours, the earth also is yours. The world and all its fullness, you have founded them, the north and the south. You have created them. Tabor and Hermon rejoice in your name. That's the big mountain, the small hill. You have a mighty arm, strong is your hand, and high is your right hand. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Mercy and truth go before your face. I love this. Verse 15. Blessed are the people who know the joyful sound. They walk, O Lord, in the light of your countenance. In your name they rejoice all day long, and in your righteousness they are exalted. For you are the glory of their strength, and in your favor our horn is exalted. For our shield belongs to the Lord and our king, to the Holy One of Israel. And that last verse right there might be in reference to the last king before they were taken into captivity. And he's saying, Lord, he belongs to you. And so sometimes when you're praying, it's kind of interesting because I don't know if you guys ever do that with the Lord, but you know, you kind of tell him who he is. Like you're God, you made everything. You maintain, and it, you know, and some people might listen to your prayer and they'd say, well, why are you praying to God like that? He already knows who he is. Well, it's just that you're reminding yourself and you're telling him, God, I believe in you. I believe in you. I believe all these things about you. And all the impossible situations, they're not impossible. God, you can do anything. That's what he's praying. That's how he's praying. God owns everything because he made everything. The north and the south, the mountains were made by him. God's strong and God is righteous. He's just, merciful, and true. And blessed are the people whose God is the Lord who walk, I like right there, it says in the light of his countenance. You know, and, and when God's people know God's power, then God's people will have joy. And that's what we read there in verse fifteen. It's interesting. Blessed are the people who know the, the joyful sound. And you know, some say that's in reference to some sort of trumpet, but others just say that these are people who know how to just make that that joyful shout. You know, and I don't know if you ever do that. Woohoo! I don't know how you would do it. <laughs> It'd be much more glorious than that, but. Um, I wish I could whistle a certain way. Some people can whistle really loud. But this is just, no matter what your, your situation is, you're, there's a triumphant shout of joy. Now, I don't know if it always manifests itself in a big smile on your face. I'm not sure because I know we go through very difficult times in life. But there's a difference between happiness and joy, joy is infinitely deeper, and you can have that joy when your eyes are fixed on the Lord. As a matter of fact, it's interesting—you draw from that joy. The Bible says in Nehemiah chapter eight, verse ten, "The joy of the Lord is my strength, no matter what you're going through." And this is how he prays: Philippians four four, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I will say rejoice. First Thessalonians 5.16, it says the same thing, rejoice always. And so God here is, you know, speaking. And it's so cool as we listen to the psalmist giving God all the glory, you know. And, and as we do, God raises up a nation. That's what he's trying to, Lord, do this work in, in Israel again. Look at verse um, 16, in your name they rejoice all day long and you're, you're righteous, And in your righteousness they are ex- exalted for you are the glory of their strength and in your favor our horn is exalted. God does a work in Israel. And so in verse 19 it says, then you, then you spoke in a vision to your holy one and, and said, I have given help to one who is mighty. I have exalted the chosen one from the people. I have found my servant David with my holy oil. I have anointed him with whom my hand shall be established. Also, my arm shall strengthen him. The enemy shall not outwit him, nor the son of wickedness afflict him. I, will, I love this. I will beat down his foes before his face. And plague those who hate him. I mean, God's sure promises now to his chosen and anointed King David is completely the work of God, right? Notice again, we're right here in verse 19 I have given help, and that's what God does to David. My choice, my servant, my holy oil, my hand, my arm is all with him. And so the enemy won't outwit him, and he will beat down his foes. I like that. I don't know why I like that. (laughs) In verse 24, it says, but my faithfulness, there's that word again, and my mercy shall be with him. And in my name, his horn shall be exalted. Also, I will set his hand over the sea and his right hand over the rivers. Now, some say this is in reference to when the kingdom was expanded. It went from the Euphrates all the way to the Mediterranean Sea. I mean, just the expansion of God's kingdom And he shall cry to me, you are my father, my God and the rock of my salvation. I, I will make him my firstborn. Also, I will make him my firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. My mercy I will keep for him forever. There's that word. And my covenant shall stand firm with him. His seed also I will make to endure forever. And his throne as the days of heaven now did you notice now he's still talking about david but now he's weaving in jesus you guys notice that i mean it's so clear and that's the way you read prophecy you see the fulfillment then and then and then in the future as well no promises to david and his posterity but clearly now pointing to jesus In verse 25, uh, it talks about his father. And yes, in one sense, it's a reference to David, but definitely a reference to Jesus and, and his father, right? And then in verse 27, he mentions that he will make him his firstborn. Now, that's interesting because David was not his firstborn. Jesus would become the one that they would call the firstborn, not because he was created or made, because Jesus has always existed, but the firstborn, and you see it often, and you see it frequently in the Bible, where God would give a a different individual, he would give him the right of the firstborn. And and that's Colossians, it it talks about that. You know, it, it even says in verse 27, and there's no ambiguity in this, It says in verse 27, I will also make him my firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. And there's no doubt about that, huh? That's in reference to Jesus Christ who is the king of kings. Read it in Revelation chapter 17 verse 14 and again in chapter 19 verse 16 of Revelation and then in 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 15. And so you look again there at verse 29, his seed also I will make to endure forever, and his throne as the days of heaven. And so it's all about Jesus. And so we read here the details of the Davidic covenant. And if his sons, in verse 30, forsake my law and do not walk in my judgments, if they break my statutes and do not keep my commandments, then I will punish their transgression with the rod and their iniquity with stripes. Nevertheless, my loving kindness, I will not utterly take from him. And what we find is that this is what's called an unconditional covenant. You guys, it wasn't dependent on the behavior of David's descendants. This will happen. Jesus will come and reign in Jerusalem as king because he's faithful. It says here in in verse 33, Nevertheless, my loving kindness, I will not utterly take from him, nor allow my faithfulness to fail. I mean, there is no way God is going to, if he said it, he, he's going to bring it to pass. My, my covenant, I will not break nor alter the word that has gone out of my lips. Once I have spoken, sworn by my holiness, I will not lie to David. His seed shall endure forever and his throne as the sun before me. It shall be established forever like the moon, even like the faithful witness in the sky selah and so the psalmist here is just man a beautiful psalm about about god and about how god would bring this to pass how many of you here you look forward to that day when jesus will reign (laughs) oh lord and i and i don't want to sound selfish because i know some people say well if the lord came now then you know so and so isn't ready part of me just is too bad you know i lord come and i think it's biblical to pray that because john did in revelation he said maranatha come come lord jesus come and he will rule on earth for a thousand years and then there'll be a new heaven and a new earth and he will rule forever see and that that's our home that's where we will fly Imagine being in heaven and you won't have to worry about if you have enough time to you know to talk to so and so or whatever, you know. I mean we're here, we're stressed in all these different ways. I-, I can't wait for that day. It's just gonna be glorious. You see, when you look at the the psalm, it's number one a praise to God, number two a promise from God. Then number three, the power of God. It's just man, he just goes over that. But then he goes back to a prayer to God. After all that, look what he says in verse 38. He says, but you have cast off and abhorred. You have been furious with your anointed. You have renounced the covenant of your servant. You have profaned his crown by casting it to the ground. You have broken down all his hedges. You have brought his strongholds. To ruin And all who pass by the way, plunder him. He is a reproach to his neighbors. You've exalted the right hand of his adversaries. You have made all his enemies rejoice. You have also turned back the edge of his sword and have not sustained him in the battle. You have made his glory cease and cast his throne to the ground. The days of his youth, you have shortened. You have covered him With shame, Selah, how long, Lord? Will you hide yourself forever? Will your wrath burn like fire? Remember how short my time is. For what futility have you created all the children of men? What man can live and not see death? Can he deliver his life from the power of the grave, Selah? Lord, where are your former kindnesses? which you swore to David in your truth. Remember, Lord, the reproach of your servants, how I bear in my bosom the reproach of all the many peoples with which your enemies have reproached you, O Lord, with which they have reproached the footsteps of your anointed. And and he's sharing, you know, Lord, your your word, I will praise you, the way he starts it off, I'm going to praise God. I'm going to praise God. I'm going to stand on the promise of God because that covenant, you said, Lord, would be restored. And then he goes on and he just talks about how amazing God is. But then he begins to break it down and he says, but Lord, look at Israel today. And this is probably when they were in captivity in Babylon. And if I could, just for a moment, if I could just say this, I I would like to say it. Lord, look at your church today. Lord, we're your church. We're your bride. We're your people. We have your word. We have your Holy Spirit. Look at us. The church as a whole. So many that are Serving God with half heart. So many that don't pray. So many that are casual. So many that I would call they're kind of like California Christians. And so, Lord, he's praying. Because I know, you know, we sinned. And we, we needed to be disciplined. But Lord, now... We look on us. Now, Lord, we start a revival. We bring a great awakening. And let it begin with me. Let me be a man who loves you. Let me be a man who hates sin any sin let me be a man who says I give you my whole life all that I am Lord restore us and he ends on a good note you know And here we see in verse 52 blessed be the Lord forevermore amen and amen and, and 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 what you find is when you compare the two Psalms, you know, the both of them are going through tremendous trials. One, he ends as a whiner and one ends as a winner. The whiner has his eyes on himself and his circumstances and therefore he's stressed and distressed. But the winner, I think, has his eyes on the Lord, on his word, and in the end, He's blessed. And so which are, are you? Are you a whiner? Or are, are you a winner? Listen, it's not too late to change the letters around, okay? <laughs> Ultimately, we see that this is a psalm fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's just so cool. Earlier we read about how he uh, stills the waves, you know, when the storms rise up against us. And and no matter what you're going through tonight, I pray that you would know that he can do that in your life. You just got to let him in the boat. You got to let him back in the boat where he belongs. And you have to trust him. And what you'll find is that he will show himself strong. So I pray that God does a, a work in us, that he would take this word and he would take his seed and he would plant it in your heart. know i'm learning that sometimes what ends up happening is we categorize our life and we come to church and you're one way and you go home and you're a different way or whatever you know I, i would even encourage you just as you came here today and you sang songs and opened up your bible and maybe you spent some time in prayer do the same thing at home do it with your kids pray with them read the bible with them make even your home a church a sanctuary Because I don't know about you, but how many of you here, you want to see God move in a great way?